Hello and welcome to a deputized episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. Today we're reviewing 1988's hit Young Guns. But before we do, let's go check in on the shop. Hey, Brett. Uh, sorry, you might be in the middle of something, but I was looking through ex the expense report and we were billed $500 last week by some company called RSS Incorporated. Do you do you know what that is? Oh, yeah. It's a regulator's security service. Uh, that customer, Dick Brewer with Lincoln, uh, he recommended them. Recommended them for what? Why do we need security? Are you serious right now? Have you not noticed what's going on across the street? Across the street, uh, the new auto shop that just went in. What about them? You mean Chop Hollywood Shop? Yeah, yeah. You're not concerned by them at all. I, I mean, yeah. From a business competition standpoint, the name's a little sus. But I mean, I don't think they're trying to steal the Colonel's famous recipe from us. What's the security going to do specifically? You say that, but I've been watching the owner and some of his employees all day. Shady, shady vibes, my friend. Just look out there. Look at what they're doing right now. What? What do you mean? They're they're just standing there. Exactly, exactly, Travis. They've been standing there for multiple hours every day this fucking week. Is that illegal? It's intimidation, is what it is. They know what they're doing by standing there. I still I don't understand how you can't see this, but that's fine. Billy and the boys are going to take care of them. Wait, Billy and the boys take, take care of them? <laughs> You're fucking right. Right? Take them up that mountain and blow their brains out. But first, how about we go ahead and review Young Guns? In a very loose retelling of the Lincoln County War, six renegades are recruited by a noble rancher to defend his property from a wild west ripe with corruption. The young men develop a fragile bond as they are taught civilization by the rancher, John Tunstall, a man who sees the potential in his ragtag group of gunslingers and rejects. It's not long before the group dynamics are tested as they watch Tunstall being gunned down by a rival gang, leaving the regulators to choose between a path of justice or a path of vengeance. When the bullets start to fly, will the boys honor the legacy of their former employer or make a new name for themselves in the blood of their enemies? All right, Travis, go ahead and give me your your diagnostic. Which a quick diagnostic. What, what did you think of Young Guns? Uh, this is going to be a tough one to review because I, I, I liked the movie, but I will say there were times when I loved the movie. And then within five minutes, the movie would do something that was so stupid that it, it kind of – imagine you're making a, a mixed drink and one bottle is great and one bottle is shit and you pour some great in there and people get excited and you pour some shit in there. And at the end of the day, this is half amazing, half shit. Um, yeah, I have and, to agree. And, and and real I quick, I have I to say – I'm sorry. I, one last thing, just from your description, you mentioned a, a loose retelling. I think some of the problems with this movie is sometimes they try to be too faithful to what happened. 
but faithful in the sense that they read the Wikipedia article or whatever 1988's equivalent was and, and got the cliff notes and then tried to piece stuff together. So sometimes the stuff that didn't fit, I looked at the real history and oftentimes that's what happened. It just is portrayed in a weird way on screen and, and I'm sure we'll get into the details, but what did you think? Uh, so Travis, it's funny you say that because after I watched the entire movie, my recap note for the whole thing was that at times they tried to like the horse historical, uh, the horse historical accuracy took precedence. And then I did the same thing and went back and did research for my chop shop and realized that this isn't accurate at all. So I don't know why they decided to follow like when they decided that they were going to follow something faithfully, when they decided they were going to like deviate and do something completely different. I'm like. Because it wasn't for an artistic reason. Like, a lot of the stuff was just weird. It's like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Um, so I will say this. I was not a huge fan of this movie. I, I think that there were gems. Um, you know, we say it plenty of times. We, we don't talk about the movies before we get on here. But you did. You you were so engrossed with, with the movie that you had to call and tell me that, <laughs> you know... Uh, Billy the Kid was was throwing some some real Brett Mosier vibes, and after watching the movie, I I have to agree his attitude towards everything was pretty fantastic. It's also the reason why I don't feel like people with that personality do well as the main character, <laughs> at least not. Well, I will say this: not in the eighties, like nineteen eighty eight. Like I don't think Hollywood had figured out how to portray that character in a way that they were engaging. Like now, I mean, I think he falls in line a lot with like a a. a a Dr. Gregory House from the show House or even like a Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty. I feel like it's very much that personality. Um, the thing is that they typically, in order to make that character work, there has to be like when the facade is taken off and they have to show a level of vulnerability where they're, you know, they're more damaged and broken than everyone around them. They just tend to, to act like a tough guy. Like, like they've got more, like they understand what's going on more than anyone else. And the problem is like, in the 80s, or at least in this movie specifically, they never do that with Billy the Kid. Like, he never... My biggest complaint with this movie is that there is no character development at all. Like, it is you... The characters remain exactly the same through the entire movie. And, like, I think that's a problem is when you decide to focus on a character like Billy and he doesn't grow, you're just watching... I, I don't know. It's almost like just watching like a, an 80s action movie, you know, like where it's just like the, you know, you're not expecting the hero to grow. They're just there to destroy stuff. But there's still some level of like, I don't know, goodness to that character. Usually like even, you know, I, I won't use Rambo as even like a commando, like typically like Arnold Schwarzenegger, he just fucked people up. But like he was doing it for the right reasons, whereas Billy the Kid was just kind of unhinged a little bit. Well, unhinged and clearly in love with his own growing fame and notoriety. And I think I pick up what you're saying. The biggest problem I have, not only is there not character development in this movie, oftentimes characters behave very stupidly and, and even worse at times betray what, what their character is and what their goal should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I'm thinking of specifically, you have this group, um, you know, Lou Diamond Phillips, Charlie Sheen, um, Dermot Mulrooney. Basically, uh, I'm going to use the actors' names because there's a lot of names in this. But uh, Terrence Stamp, the, the British guy who brings them in, they've already um, got yeah, uh, they've already got a, a well-established kind of family, like you said. And Billy comes in, and if you're going to have him gain the comp, like 
20 minutes after Billy the Kid shows up, he's just part of the group, so much so that some people are questioning him or questioning their leader, uh, Charlie Sheen's Dick. character, Dick. Yeah. They're questioning Dick. Dick. And I'm like, imagine, Brett, if, if you be, you know, all of our friends from when we were like 18 or 19 and we were real tight and then a new guy moved into town and like a week later – he was my best friend and I was kind of questioning you. It's not realistic. So if, if you're going to play it that way, I needed more development in the early stages before they get their mission of avenging their mentor to make it feel like they would believe in Billy or, the Kid because or, or, he's yeah, reckless. Or even then, like you can tell what they were trying to do was Charlie Sheen's character Dick was supposed to be the level-headed leader. He believed in justice, you know? They all got deputized after um, their father figure was killed. Was it... Tr I, it begins with a T. I can't believe I wrote this thing so many fucking times. I don't know how I... I can't remember the guy's name. Is it John? Um, Tunstall. Tunstall. John yeah, Tunstall. Tunstall. Yeah, there you go. Um, so my issue is like... Dick was supposed to be the level-headed, you know, the leader of, of the group who wanted to bring justice. And then you see Billy is kind of his counterpart where he just wants revenge. It's almost like if we wanted to make it, you know, it's almost like a Leonardo Raphael, you know, like Leonardo was the was the clear leader of the group. But Raphael always butt, butted heads with him because he just wanted to whoop some ass, right? We're going right. to go team and T on this. And so, I'm glad you brought that up because there's other areas where... We're going to mention that movie, at least I am, but go funny, funny you <laughs> brought it up, so go ahead. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But um, so my my issue with this is, is if you made that clear divide and half of the party was like, no, we have to get revenge for Tunstall. We have to kill his killers. And like the other half was like, no, the whole point of this is it's justice. Like we're not supposed to be, we're not, you know, we are the law. We're not above it or like we're not criminals. Like if there was that exchange it would have at least made it a little bit more sense where it's like the men aren't following a leader so much as they're following what their like uh what is it, like their code is like i'm not about justice i'm about vengeance i'm not about vengeance i'm about justice but like they never clearly establish the other characters and their motives it's just you kind of loosely feel like okay charlie sheen is supposed to be like the real straight shooter the straight laced guy uh, you know tunstall's you know right hand man and then billy is this kind of loose cannon who you know even throughout the movie, I believe, like, they don't establish that he really has any relationship with Tunstall, aside from the fact that Tunstall let him hang out at the ranch, and for such a short period of time that it feels like, again, Billy is just chasing the fame. Like, Billy is just bloodthirsty, and he's using Tunstall as basically a justification for his bloodlust. Yeah, and, and like I said, not only bloodlust, but, you know... Billy the Kid might be the first ever Instagram. It wasn't an Instagram, but like he's so obsessed with his public persona. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why, again, if you don't make these characters bond in the first act of this movie, Billy's behavior later on, I'm just like, why is anybody wanting to deal with this? Like the one that when it really jumped out to me is when Lou Diamond Phillips, um, Chavez E. Chavez, uh, great name, love that name. Um, <laughs> it's like, hey, this is a lost cause. Uh, I'm going west. I'm the last of my people. I need to, you know, basically start my people again because if I die, that's it. Mm -hmm. And and Billy just kind of flatly dismisses that and is like, this is your fucking family now. If you leave this family, you break the hoop. And I'm like, 
I, I get what he is saying, and, and there could be a way to say that in a in a more tender, heartfelt way. But when I don't believe these characters are friends, it just comes off mm-hmm. as like, you know, fuck your Native American mumbo jumbo bullshit. This is your family now. And then Chavez is like, cool. Yeah, you're right. Let's do it. And I'm just like, that was not earned. And it, it's, mm-hmm. it sticks out in the movie. Yeah, and the only time I can think of before that that Billy and Chavez have any actual real interaction is when Chavez is practicing his knife throwing, and after he does it, Billy shoots up the barrel that he's throwing knives into. It's like Billy's basically, again, he's not even Billy the Kid now, but he did... I, <laughs> Stream of consciousness. You know, I feel like the the director or the writers thought, "Oh, he's Billy the Kid, so let's make him act like a child the entire movie." And it's like, no, that's not like that's not why he was called Billy the Kid. Like, you don't. He doesn't need to act like a spoiled brat the entire movie, like an entitled little shit. Like that wasn't that wasn't the character I think he needed to be. And certainly, if you're going to make him essentially the leader, you know. Yeah, and I guess I didn't even think about that's the way he was behaving, but it was as if he were a child. And I think I assume historically he was more Billy the Kid just because anytime you succeed in a profession and his, you know, was crime and you're very young, you know, you're viewed as a whiz kid. It's got nothing to do with you crying over spilled pudding. And and yeah, I didn't think about it that way, but that's a perfect way to describe his character the whole fucking movie. And sometimes it works because sometimes kids are charming, but oftentimes kids are fucking annoying. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. Is like there was times where he was really fucking annoying and there was times where I'm like, "Oh, he's a fucking badass." You know, um I th- the <laughs> maybe my favorite scene of his in the movie um is when guess? he's talking go ahead and guess go ahead and guess is it in is it during the final shootout it is not during the final shootout okay i thought you were gonna say and i can't remember the the name he calls out but he yells out the window at the invading force and it's like oh I, I see you got brett mosher down there with you and they're like yeah and then he immediately shoots well not brett mosher in the head but the character and he's like oh it looks like you don't have brett mosher with you anymore i thought that would have been your favorite line <laughs> oh no that's a fantastic scene and i believe that's again with those the accuracy like billy the kid was known that he like his official rap sheet was that he murdered eight people now this movie implies he murdered like fucking 40 <laughs> like even the shootout at the end like basically it was crawford is the is the guy he shoots and he's supposed to go. be a sharpshooter um no my favorite scene with billy is when he's talking to the uh, the traitor, and the guy's like, he, oh. Billy's like, I just saw the, I just saw you, you like that that motion you just did, like you're you're trying to set us up for an ambush. I know, like no, no, Billy, he's not, he's one of us, he's one of us. And Billy, he, you know, he's like, no, shaking. You know, Billy shakes his hand. He's like, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry and then McCluskey. pulls out. His, I'm sorry, McCluskey, and then he immediately pulls out his gun with his other hand and shoots him in the head. And he, well, not, not and only does like, he shoot him in the head, he's holding his hand in a shake so that he can't grab his gun. McCluskey can't grab his gun, and he apologizes to McCluskey and then waits a beat and says, I'm sorry, and again, I broke down the line. I forgot my notes, but he says something to the effect of, I'm sorry I didn't figure out you were a traitor sooner, you son of a bitch, and then just dome pieces him. And... <laughs> The blood goes all over Doc's face, and I was like, holy shit. I, I didn't consider whether this movie was PG-13 or R. That's when I knew it was R. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, 
that is my favorite Billy the Kid scene where he's just like, again, it just shows a shirt a certain level of in, like intelligence, like strategy. Where again, like you're saying, he grabs his hand so he can't grab his gun, and he's just like, I know you're a fucking traitor, and I'm not gonna wait for everyone else. I'm not gonna wait for you to fucking sell us out, and just takes matters into his own hands. <laughs> Brett, do you want to take a stab when I called you last night where I was in the movie? It was that scene. It was that what? fucking scene. I was like, I, I've got Brett Mosher vibes a lot, but now I know this This is Brett. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was my even, favorite. And they're like, huh? what, what? And he, he looks at McCloskey and he goes, you know what I saw. Like, even just the... The, the pitter-patter, the dialogue, the delivery, it was mm. perf- perfect there. So, yeah, sorry, continue. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, but there there's definitely the scenes, again, like, when when uh, when he shoots the barrels while Chavez is throwing the knives, I'm like, it makes, like, why is he just being a shithead right now? Like, there's, there's definitely moments where, like, and I don't know if that's they're trying to make it where Billy is, they're trying to make him not an enjoyable character. Um, but the, the funny thing is, Billy was never the leader of the regulators. I mean, there were three different leaders of the regulators. Billy was never one of them, which is, but this movie basically makes it look like Billy was constantly trying to get that leadership. Like he wanted to lead the gang, you know, which I thought was weird. Um, but yeah, just like I said, just it's, there's, there's a lot of really weird things. I thought, you know, in terms of scenes that didn't make any fucking sense, but I, I assume that this, you know, we had to have an eighties movie, you know, it had to have eighties. Um, the the peyote scene made no sense to me what like i have no idea what that added to the movie other than like let's try and have a weird drug induced dream sequence which wasn't even really a dream sequence like the characters didn't bond i don't feel like they learned anything like even chavez Chavez is like we didn't see what his vision was aside from the fact that he got a vision that told him he should go west and he did not follow his vision okay so i Glad you brought this scene up because I teased it a little bit earlier. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The I guess I think it came out a year after this movie, if I'm not mistaken. That's not super important. It's around this time. Mm-hmm. I felt like if this movie had taken more of a approach of Ninja Turtles, where Splinter's lost. Now, obviously, in that movie, Splinter's not dead, but he's out of their lives. That movie does a good job of showing how it's affecting the turtles. And mm-hmm. it, it was literally the scene, much the same function of what I think this scene wants to be is in Turtles. They go out to the woods to hide out and they have that fire and Splinter speaks to them through the fire. Mm-hmm. The Turtles weren't even on drugs. So now you have the opportunity to do this scene and they're on drugs. You could make it anything. I think this would have been a good moment to bring back um, what you say his name was, Terrence Stamp. John what? Tunstall? Tunstall. Bring back Tunstall in some way because the movie loses a warmth when he dies because I I bought the warmth of him that he was showing towards those kids. You need to Mm -hmm. remind the audience what at least some of these guys or like I said, kids, they're all young guys are out there doing what they're doing this for, like as a counterweight to just Billy being an asshole all the time. You needed the emotion, and I think that scene was perfect for it, and yet they went to just do, like, a stoner comedy bit. Yeah, and <laughs> that was weird. I also thought in terms of just being weird 80s, like, for the most part, they keep period music, except for the beginning and the end of the movie where they decide it's, like, a Top Gun-esque yes. <laughs> like guitarist, and I'm like, 
what the f like i honestly thought it was going to be almost like a knight's tale where it was going to be like oh we're going to have a western but like we're going to put in modern music or something like that i'm like oh no they just decided i guess because it's the 80s they have to have this weird guitar riff and then they decided after that they would jump into like more period type music well and, and it's funny you mentioned that this movie does have a sequel and I remember the sequel a lot more than I do the original, and they lean a lot more into that because this one was such a pop culture phenomenon. So, yeah, those temptations to try to make it a little more modern, uh, I don't know what you feel about it, but, that yeah, it takes you out of it, and they lean all the way into it in the next movie. Well, and that's my thing, doing all or nothing. Like I said, I right. guilty pleasure. Not, I don't know how you feel, but I like it. I love A Knight's Tale. I think, and I'd have to go back. It's been a while, but, like, but that was a movie that, like, even though they did the modern thing, like, it was a little bit of the charm to that movie. And, like, that sticks out to me. And I'm like, it never felt out of place, even though that's what they were doing. Whereas this one just, like I said, it felt out of place because it was only used, if I'm mistaken, twice at the beginning and the end of the movie. Where I'm like, I have no idea why you chose to do it this way. Um, but I want to rewind a little bit back to kind of, like, not scenes that weren't earned. I feel like... There's a lot of this movie where I feel like they wanted to have impact but failed miserably at it. And I think the there's actually two scenes, but I think the the worst is when Dick dies, when Dick oh, gets shot yes. in the chest. I'm just like this whole movie, all I've done is seen Dick yell at Billy the Kid. I have not like I've never learned anything about this character other than he was like the assumed right hand man of Tunstall. But like he doesn't get any development. There's nothing that anchors me into believing he should be a character. So, like, when he dies, I'm like, who gives a shit? Like, I he meant nothing to me other than the fact that maybe in 88, it would have been like, oh, my God, that was Charlie Sheen. I love Charlie Sheen. As opposed to, you know, 2021, where I'm like, that was Charlie Sheen. Okay, Charlie Sheen's dead. <laughs> like, it just, again, not, there was nothing to that death to me. And, you know? I, and... To further expound on why that scene is terrible, because I mentioned this movie does some stuff that's really good, but it will follow it up with some of the most awful shit you've seen on film. This whole scene is that uh, because even before they try to do some sort of emotion, they try to do some sort of action scene. And it's, you know, the regulators sitting outside a wooden outhouse acting as if they're trying to storm the beach of Normandy. Like, he's in a fucking wooden box and can't see you. Move around and flank the box and just shoot through the motherfucker. They shoot through it, and yet the dude somehow is fine. And then when Dick decides, hey, I'm going to have my heroic moment, Dick's idea is to stand right in front of the door. Where do you think he's going to stick the gun out, Dick? So not only does it not emotionally pay off, I'm like, you're a stupid bastard, Dick. So you deserve to die for being so dumb. Yeah, it's he definitely did not have good leader vibes other than the fact that, you know, I don't even know if he was declared the leader or if it was just like there was at least a bare minimum job at like establishing like the audience is like, oh, no, he's supposed to be like the leader. He's, you know, of this crew. But I, uh, well, yeah, I was, I was pretty disappointed with a lot of that. Even Tunstall's death, I thought was, you know, didn't have a lot of in impact to it. Oh, um, okay. Real, real quick on Tunstall's death. And, and I think this serves Dick. Number one was at least in the early stages, some sort of leader. He was Tunstall's like right-hand man, but mm -hmm. the people in 1988 going to see this movie, this was like the Brat Pack Western. So people, mm -hmm. 
they weren't history buffs going to see this movie. So it's like you don't have to commit to him being the leader when it doesn't make sense in the movie because if – especially in 88, nobody can look this shit up. People are there to see you know, their teen idols, not a history lesson. And the thing is with uh, you know, their father figure's death, I was like that's another dumbass scene of the movie. But reading the Wikipedia, that's how it went down. But I'm like, I'm sure it didn't go down exactly like this, because how are they riding in an open field and get snuck up on? Mm -hmm. And they're just slightly far enough away because the Wikipedia article even mentions like they witnessed uh, Tunstall's death from afar. But I'm like, dramatically, you did not play this well at all the way it's shot. Oh, that's weird, because the article I read said that he was killed by himself. Oh, I don't know. Maybe Wikipedia is lying to me or maybe Wikipedia, somebody just edited it based upon watching Young Guns. <laughs> but they historically, the Wikipedia article said that he he was killed on the way back to the ranch and he was separated from the group. So I don't I don't know. See, this says only three of the deputies decided survived the confrontation. Most historians believe that Tunstall likely surrendered. He was reportedly are reported as shot through a breast with a rifle and then shot in the back of the head with a revolver. The posse faked Whoa. the crime scene, removing Tunstall's gun and firing it and arranged it in a nearby body. This type of setup was common gambit in the Wild West. No, uh, Not one of Tunstall's group believed the deputies resisted arrest account. Okay, yeah, I don't... Uh, maybe I had Wikipedia open on multiple tabs and was just reading the description <laughs> to this movie. Uh, so yeah, whoops. Okay. Uh, I guess, you know what you're going to put on the, uh, the post, the post, <laughs> the post credits, uh, spoiler, or, you know, whatever, whatever, um, motherfucker, you know what I mean? But, but even that scene, like it was very clearly set up as soon as he told Billy to, and I, again, why was Billy the one who stayed behind? Again, they never established that Billy had any real connection to Tunstall. Um, but he's like, boys will be boys. Go ahead and, and chase the ferrets like fucking wild dogs. Um, <laughs> and as he's up at the top of the hill, I'm like, oh, someone's going to come up behind him and pop him. I did not think it was going to be a, a group of bandits or anything <laughs> like that. And even then, like, he gets shot and stands up and then, like, jumps off the carriage. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, this scene is so fucking dumb. Like, but to your point. It doesn't have to be like you're not making a historically accurate film. You know you're not because you tried to make Billy the kid the leader of this group. So at this point, make Tunsil's death a little bit more like let, let someone uh, have him more. like a yeah lot more. yeah. Like even I go into it in my chop shop. I'm like you could have him like being shot and like him trying to like talk through the blood coming out of his mouth and just like not able to get like have it. This movie pulls all of its punches. Every single one. The only time I think it even gets close is when Charlie dies. And even that's weird because it's in this weird fucking slow-mo thing that Charlie's doing oh. at the very end. But I'm like, that's the only time where the, the movie actually tries to, like, make a death impactful. Yeah, I just put a put a button on uh, the slow-mo because <laughs> that's going to come up later. Um, but yeah, man, the Tunstall character is where they really criminally drop the ball on this movie. Mm -hmm. Like you have to, you have to feel the connection between these characters and Tunstall. Otherwise it's just a bunch of dudes riding around fucking killing people. And I mean, I don't think we've talked about the scene. The first kill that Billy has like 
big time. You're like you're just a psycho vibes. Like when he kills the guy, he's taking a piss. Yeah, again, they they portray him like that's how a child like if you gave a nine year old a Nerf gun and said, I want you to shoot this guy. Like that's what they would do. They would pretend to pee in a urinal and then shoot the person when they turn around. Like that's again, it just they portray him as if you gave a child a six shooter. But I mean, the obvious problem with that is Emilio Estevez is not a child. So it's like, no. And I wonder, did the movie consciously know how bad they made Billy look, but they were like, hey, historically, he is a criminal, so it's okay. That's the only justification I can give to this. Like, I know we talk about how intentional movies are, whether they're smart enough to know what they're making. I I don't think it's I don't think it's the case here, but that's the only positive reading I can give to why they had Billy behave this way. To me, the only way they justify it is like, well, Bill, you know, Billy might be acting like a bad guy, but he's killing a badder guy, so it's okay. And it's like that's that's kind of their justification for anything that Billy does, even when he kills the corrupt sheriff. Like, it's beyond like it'd be one thing if he had like a death wish. It's like bit like like almost like a you know um, Martin Riggs. Riggs, like a Martin Riggs, like. But it's not. He's just kind of immature and hasn't suffered the consequences yet even to the point where like when someone does die it's like he doesn't understand the concept of death and it's like oh no like when dick dies that was a friend of yours he's dead you know um yeah it's just it's very it's very weird to me the way they they try they decided to portray billy the kid in this movie so uh, I do want to make sure we we talk about other people in the movie. I, I think it's we've got a good read on Billy the Kid. Were there other performances that you wanted to talk about? Um, I did not really like Keither or Kiefer Sutherland as Doc. I thought his character was at the beginning of the movie. I thought that they were establishing all of the characters and what their roles would be. Like Charlie Sheen, Dick would be like the leader. Billy the Kid is kind of the loose cannon again, like a Raphael, or like he might. He's going to butt heads with the leadership, but at the end of the day, like he's going to do what's best for the group. And then, you know, Chavez was going to wind up being some kind of tracker or something like that because it's the 80s and it's fucking racist. So you had to make the Navajo a tracker. Um, I thought that Charlie was going to be like this brute. Like when they established him, beat the shit out of the guy at the dance. I'm like, oh, Charlie's going to wind up being the guy who gets into fist fight. Like he's going to get into a lot of fist fights. Like he's the physical one of the group. Billy's the shooter. Like he's the best gunman. Doc is your sensitive one. Who's going to keep like a Donatello. Like he won't be the smart one that makes inventions, but he'll keep the group together. But even his, his soft side was kind of like weird and creepy. Like, as you know he's a poet so he's the sensitive one but i'm like he's also just kind of a creepy asshole well I, I, it's funny that you mentioned that because i think the problem with Kiefer sutherland in this movie he's just miscast like yeah. when i think Kiefer sutherland especially from like the late 80s through mid 90s i always see him as a menacing character um like the Lost Boys, he plays a very mm-hmm. menacing character. Uh, a few good men. He's the guy who kills the person that starts the movie. A time to kill. He's a creepy racist. And so when I see him on screen, I already have a shorthand and assume a lot of things. And as they develop the character, I'm like, wait, no, he's supposed to be the soft, flowery one. That that doesn't track to me. 
Like you mm-hmm. would be better off having Charlie Sheen try to do that and flip those two roles because at least I, the fact that Charlie Sheen plays the the buttoned up one who doesn't want to do the drugs is amazing to me. Um, but I feel like you could flip those two actors and they would have done a better job on both regards in, in both parts. Absolutely. Um. So yeah, I I I didn't really have any connection with the the funniest scene I thought, and it's like it's weird like. Again, this movie would have tidbits and again, pulling its punches. Like, I thought it was funny the scene where, like, Billy's talking about, like, Doc will be back. He loves me. Then it goes back and it's like, I fucking hate him. I can't stand being around him. When he's talking to um, the girl that he's in love with from seeing, you know, love at first sight, I guess. But I'm like, oh, I expected that to go a little bit further. Like, he would say something and it would keep switching back and forth between the two of them. And I'm like, they just did it once. And I'm like, that's kind of a a fun gag to do a fun bit to do. Like, why did, why did you stop it that quickly? You know, I felt like either there was more there that they cut out or it was just kind of like, it's all of these haphazard. Like they just kind of like sprinkled good ideas in there, but didn't actually fulfill any of them. Yeah. And I was talking about how sometimes the characters are, they betray themselves. And I think that's a big sin in movies can we talk about when Doc sneaks into uh, the mansion, uh, Murphy's, or I don't even know if it's his mansion, it's just his business, and she's got a room upstairs. He sneaks up there to see her, and at one point, Murphy comes up the stairs, Jack Palance, and is like drunkenly beating on the door. I don't under Kiefer Sutherland's whole goal is Doc's goal is to free this woman and so they could be together. Hide behind the door and when drunk old man Murphy comes in, you don't even have to shoot him. Just fucking choke him out from behind and now guess what? Two birds, one stone. You yeah. You freed her and you got revenge for Tunstall. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, hypothetically, you could end the war. Right there. And instead, he just scrambles out the window. And I'm like, again, when we know historically that didn't happen, find a different way to have him interact with Yin's son. I, I, I don't get it. It just makes our characters look like idiots. Like, so, the fact that they're following Billy the Kid makes them look like idiots. But then stuff like this just reinforces it. So here you want to have a, a, fun, a fun little tidbit here. Apparently originally um they tried to get sean penn to play billy the kid and they tried to get patrick swayze to play dick brewer but sean penn was yeah sean penn was was wrapped up in legal problems and couldn't do it and patrick swayze was trying to get away from the brat pack he didn't want to be kind of like associated with that all the time so like (laughs) that would have been a completely (laughs) different movie had those two been cast yeah and it's hard to say because maybe if they had gotten their first choices they would have put a little more work in the script like i don't think you ask sean penn to show up and do something and it'd be this level of script writing um so i can't i don't even know if i would want to see that movie more or less than this movie because i don't think it would have been much the same at all yeah Um, i uh what I really uh, – I, I have a lot of thoughts on the ending of the movie. So did you have anything more before the end? Uh, no. 
do you, do you want to say your your thoughts on oh yeah you you prompted it we'll we'll talk about the end of the movie i'm, I'm trying to let me look through while you're yeah, doing that i'll see if there's anything else but no we can talk about the end yeah and of course these, these are never linear so you know forgive us if that's uh if that's a problem for you but when i up until the last act of this movie i i was really enjoying it it, it was by no means good at points but it, it was firmly mm. in that guilty pleasure area um, but man, it's so important on how a movie leaves you. Like when you walk out of the theater or if you turn off the stream, the last 20 or so minutes is probably going to be fresh on your mind. And God damn, is this ending terrible? Like the way it is shot, I mentioned the slow motion. I, we haven't, we haven't talked about Terry O'Quinn. It was great to see him show up. Uh, John, what about Locks Jack Palance? Oh, yeah. Well, of course, we haven't talked about Jack Palance either, but <laughs> and, and we'll touch on him because he dies in the end of this movie in a very interesting way. Um, but like when Terry O'Quinn gets killed and apparently this part's historic, historically accurate as far as I know. Again, I've been wrong on that already, so take it with a grain of salt. But he gets cut down by the Gatling gun and they decide to shoot it in slow motion. And if I had time, if I had time to rewatch this. I would take out a stopwatch and time how long it takes Terry O'Quinn to hit the ground after he is shot. Like slow motion has a very slow motion is very cool. Almost in any application, this movie found a way to make it laughably bad. Mm-hmm. Also accurately. No, he was, I don't think he was shot by, cause I thought the Gatling gun was overkill. Well, not, not, I, not by the Gatling gun, but he was okay. killed in that fight. He, yes. He was killed in that fight. And then, Billy the kid actually kills so his name is Alex the lawyer um he's accidentally shot and then Billy kid shoots the person who shot him Billy the kid did not actually kill um what was it Murphy 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 dies of cancer (laughs) in 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 real life like he he does not get gunned down in the street granted that's not great for a Hollywood movie um but yes no it's completely inaccurate Excuse me on that end as well. Yeah, and again, I, I think in our final notes that we're both going to bring it up. I just don't understand why this movie feels to, the need to be accurate in some areas, and then just let's cut, create stuff from whole cloth. But the ending, I, I don't know, man. I I think people forget the old west. Yeah, you're not going to have a Michael Bay esque shootout. Like if you know anything about Western history, like the OK Corral you know, Wyatt Earp fame, they were shooting at each other from like six to eight feet apart and would fire 30 times and they would hit three times. So these weren't going to be incredible saving private Ryan level battles, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. I can't quite put my finger on it other than the terrible action, which I could, I could, I could get over that if I felt like dramatically I cared about what happened to these characters, but I don't. So the end is just, poorly staged action with slow-mo to try to cover up for that fact. Yeah, I just, the the ending to me is so anticlimactic. It's insane. Like, it, it's at the point, like, I knew that there was a Young Guns 2, and I had not seen that, but, like, at the end when they escaped the house, first of all, I don't know, if Chavez y Chavez was able to escape the house, why didn't they all just escape the house the same fucking way? I don't understand that. Um, but when they come out of the house shooting and everything, 
and they ride away and i'm like holy shit like they didn't they didn't kill murphy they didn't kill jack pounce i'm like i i really did not expect that and then all of a sudden (laughs) billy the kid comes around the corner on a horse shoots him square in the fucking head jack pounce (laughs) almost like a fucking cartoon does a 180 because you know you see billy's face he shoots jack in the forehead and jack turns around 180 basically looks at the camera and then collapses and i'm like no this is just comically bad and like and i guess that's where this movie falls where i'm like it's not bad enough that it's enjoyable where i'm like oh it's just it's like comically bad how it's like the movie tried and just wasn't successful and that's the problem for me with this one um again it has its its it's shimmer and it's shine in its moments but i think overall i just thought it was a very lackluster movie um but one thing I will tell you is I fucking can't stand a movie that ends with a narration. Because to me, it's the laziest thing in the world when it's just like, well, we don't know how to wrap up the story, so we'll just have somebody read off the narration. And I'm like, I almost would have given it this movie, it's a pass on it. Because throughout the movie, there's so many times where they're reading newspaper articles, right? Yeah. If somehow it would have been Kiefer Sutherland as Doc reading an article or something like that about the different characters or something like that i'm like okay it, like i don't understand why they would have news articles of this but at least it makes sense narratively like this is something that's happened throughout the film but that's not it it's just he does a narration over where you know almost like you know animal house or i uh, was like anchorman like but those are those are both comedies like it makes sense like this was supposed to be kind of a almost like a drama type thing you know a blockbuster drama where i'm like no, you can't just narrate over where everybody ended up, you know? And again, ironically, Charlie didn't die in the battle of, of Lincoln, uh, or the Lincoln County war. Like he made it out of that. He died later. Um, so just again, real, real weird where they decided to, to draw the line with, with historically accurate and not historically accurate. In fact, there's actually after Dick dies, the next person to take over the um, the the band the is a guy named McNabb. Yeah, the regulators was a guy named McNabb who's never even featured in the movie. And then after McNabb is killed at the Lincoln County uh, battle, which also there was like tons of regulators. It wasn't six guys. It was there was a bunch of them. But they were a fucking after, army. Yeah, yeah, a it, was a, army, it was a yeah. yeah, it was a small army. Um, the but after McNabb is killed. Doc is actually the one who takes over the regulators. So it's just one of those things I'm like, it just doesn't make any sense what this movie was trying to do. Other than the fact that, like you said, maybe they got everybody cast. Like, oh, it's the Brat Pack. Let's go ahead. We're going to make this a Brat Pack movie. Well, Brad, like, Brad, you mentioned that, you know, you hate it when movies end with a narration over the end. You know what ends with a narration over the end? What's that? The Breakfast Club. So oh, yeah, I think you're that, right. And then another great point you've made in past podcasts, I believe it was Tango and Cash, but you can tell a bad movie by two things always. One of them is the narration as a crutch. The other one is using newspapers to further the story. And like <laughs> there's one scene where the regulators are out in the middle of the fucking desert like on top of a mountain and they're reading the newspaper. And I'm like, where did you get a newspaper exactly? Like 
the lazy storytelling shortcuts are prevalent in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the things that really holds this back from even being considered good, I'd say. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I thought it was amazing that you brought up the, the newspapers and past podcasts as a as crutch and here it is front and center. Yeah. I mean, this is just to me, it, it's a classic movie of set piece to set piece. Like it is just, it is loose, loose stories that kind of combine into a, a, a collective narrative, but there's really no transition or flow to it whatsoever other than how, well, you know, when we need to get the characters to the next thing, we'll just break the scene and suddenly they'll be somewhere new. They're going to be in a new fucking mud hut or a small, you know, structure somewhere in the desert. And like, that's where they're going to find somebody new. I'm like, I honestly, the only thing that this movie was missing was a um, roundup montage where it is just Billy killing tons of dudes in a montage sequence. And I honestly don't know how it didn't make it into the movie. Like, was it not in the script or did it get cut? Because this movie is just, it's asking for a gun them down montage. Yeah, that, that's a, I feel like that's a staple of the Western and oddly it's absent here. The Western and an 80s movie. Like, oh, very true. Very true. <laughs> yeah. Do, do, two, do two positives make a negative or vice versa? Like, I don't <laughs> understand how, the, how, how this movie did not have a round em up montage. All right. Well, um, so we are the Hollywood Chop Shop. Um, do we you are. feel like we're getting close to chop shop territory? I, I think we can go. I think we summed up pretty much what, you know, the things that we did, like there was some shining. I don't know if I would even say great performances. They're just entertaining performances. Um, and, you know, in some good lines. Oh, my favorite Actually, line, I think of the and, entire and real movie quick, performance yeah. wise, actors wise, we have more in the time capsule later on that. So mm-hmm. if, if you feel short shift on that, don't, don't worry. We got you, but it could continue, yep. Brett. Favorite line before we chop into Chop Shop. You tell Tunstall, that slug, that when he gets out of here, not to leave any slime behind. <laughs> fucking loved that line. I was like, that is a fucking Jack Palance delivered that line perfectly. You tell that slug when he gets out of town not to leave any of his slime behind. I was like, that's a that's a fucking great line. That was a good, good line. Brett, I, I can't get over the fact that Jack Palance in 1988 did Young Guns, this villain. And then a year later, he was both a villain in Batman and Tango and Cash. Like, I feel like I have slept on Jack Palance to a criminal degree my entire life. Yeah, I only knew him for City Slickers. And at this point, I'm like, there's so much more to Jack Palance. Like, he might, like, I... We need to do a Jack Palance trilogy is what we need to do. Oh, <laughs> it'll, it'll challenge my old movie uh, hatred, but I think that's a good idea. Uh, because it, we have watched two movies in the last two trilogies that we absolutely fell in love with Jack Palance. And I'm just like, what exactly? Why does no one talk about it? his performances are so over the top and amazing? I'm like, and I feel like he's the kind of act. And this is an assumption because, again, I don't know a lot of his earlier work, but I feel like he's one of those people like. When he got late in his career, he had been so successful and he's actually such a great actor that he just went balls to the walls. Like, he's just like, I'm late in my career. I'm just going to fucking have fun now. Like, I'm going to go and overact the shit out of everything. Because I'm like, if not, why would you continue to hire Jack Palance unless you knew, like, this? he's late late stage Jack Palance and he's just, he's ready to fucking go and just give you it all. Because, god damn, do I not, do I love watching him in these movies? Yeah, just choose the scenery. I, I feel like he shows up to set 
and he gets the script and he delivers a performance. And I feel like there's probably been a director that was like, Jack, that that was a little much. Can we can we try another take? Maybe you played a little more low key. And Jack Pounds is like, I'm Jack Palance. What Chris Christopher Kane, which is the director of this movie, Christopher Kane. What have you done in your career? And he's like, we'll go with that take. And then just walks back to his trailer. That's what I imagine Jack Palance like a very nice guy, but please don't try to tell him and give him notes. He's, he's like, I, I know what I'm doing at this point. Leave me alone. I, I want to see a situation when I'm, I'm watching like a behind the scenes on a movie and a director is walking up to an actor. And he's like, have you, have you seen any like late eighties Jack Palance? And like, you mean like, uh, from like young guns or like tango and cash? And like, yeah, 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 yeah. I need more of that. I want some late eighties Jack Palance right now is what I want from you. And like, that's the direction somebody gets. <laughs> Like, that's what I would love to see. It's like, that's that's what we're looking for. Like, it's, it's a certain flavor that only I think he could give, but like very, very specific. Yeah. If, if I'm an actor and I get that note, I'm appreciative because you've told me exactly what you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All righty. Let's jump. Let's jump into some chop chop. Um, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Um, I, I just pulled up my, my notes here, so I'll go ahead and try it. Um, so, again, you're always great at this, so you, you can help me out. Okay. Second week of the new format. So last week we discovered that I was going to have to turn this movie into Oscar bait because we labeled this as a, as a blockbuster and you got, what did you family? No, you family that was the friendly. week before. No, it wasn't. You got family friendly. Yeah. Oh, you got family friendly. Oh man! All right, go for it. Turn turn this into a family friendly movie. All right. <laughs> so, again, as you just told the audience, we're workshopping this. So, this is not necessarily me remaking the movie. So, this may be cheating, but. I wanted to kind of fill the gap between Young Guns 1 and Young Guns 2. And for the record, it does not matter if you know what happens in Young Guns 2 because I don't remember much of it. But Are you about keep... to give me a Lion King 1.5? Ooh. You know what? I thought about going with the 1.5. <laughs> I went with a different title for the movie. Okay. And we'll get to that at the end. But just to let you know, this is following Billy the Kid after the adventures of Young Guns 1. Is it preteen guns? It's not. Good. Great guess. Great guess. <laughs> yeah, okay. 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 I'll, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let, I'm gonna let you finish. I'm gonna let you finish. But I'm just gonna say. <laughs> God damn it! I'm glad it wasn't uh, because that's a great title, though, even for the movie I'm making. Anyway, without further ado, so the movie's gonna open up, and we're gonna be following. The camera's gonna be behind. What we don't know yet, but it will eventually be revealed to be Billy the Kid. He's walking, and he's walking into a town. Or maybe he's riding his horse. It doesn't matter. No, he's walking. And Is he, he walking walks, the horse? He's walking the horse. There you go. He's No, no horse at all. No horse at all. No horse. All right. So he passes a sign that says, Welcome to Berlin. 
and that's B-E-L-E-N. And I looked this up. This is a town in New Mexico. I, I wanted to be some level of accurate. It was established at the time of this movie. Like this was a place in New Mexico. Now, at this point, you are already as accurate as Young Guns. So good job. <laughs> Um, so the movie's going to open with Billy after he walks past that sign, you realize that Chavez is with him and they walk into the town and they're like, Hey, it's too hot to be out on the main road. They see a wheat field over to their left. Like let's cut through this wheat field. It'll give us good cover. So they're going through there and they're, they're arguing about what to do next. And unlike in this movie, Chavez is finally like, you know what, motherfucker, I'm not listening to you again. You're a psycho. I'm going west. He leaves Billy. So he goes back the way they came. Billy continues to go through the wheat field. So as Billy's going through the wheat field, he starts to hear noises. At first, that you can't tell what they are. And then he's like, oh, it sounds like children's voices. He kind of slows down because he's, he's worried about what he's about to come upon. And he starts crawling towards the sound, and he hears a loud crack. And then a second later, something hits him in the head, and he's knocked out. And then, okay, we're going to cut now to Billy's point of view. You know, it's, it's that standard movie level blurry at first, but it's starting to clear up. And, and he's clearly looking up at the sky, and then he realizes he's being uh, dragged through the wheat, Okay. People or persons or, or a person or people are, are dragging him. And he's, he's could be anything. He's starting to get his bearings and he realizes he's about to be drug out of the field into like an open field or out of the crops, out of the wheat into an open field. And he sees, he looks up finally, he's got his bearings. There's a bunch of like 10 to 11 year old kids who are the ones pulling him out of the field. <laughs> And he looks around and he realizes that they were playing baseball and it, it was a home run that knocked him out because uh, the kids, you know, the, the, the wheat's kind of the wall and it hit him in the head. And, and the kids are like, they're asking him, hey, hey, are you responding to the ad that we put in the paper? And, and Billy, you know, he's rubbing his head like he's a little grumpy that he got hit. And he's like, fuck, no, I don't know anything about any fucking ad. And the kids, they, they, they do the story. They give them their background. Here's here's where the characters explain. They're all orphans, and they were taken in by a nice old couple. But the the husband of the old couple, he's grown ill, and, and the wife has to spend all of her time caring for him. Uh, the, the guy, the older man, he was in the process of helping the kids make a baseball field. But now, of course, he can't because he's too sick. And, of course, the farm's falling apart as well because he can't get out there and do the work. And the kids are like, hey, okay. you, you know, what, what's going on with you? And, and Billy's like, you know, hey, uh, you know, I'm kind of between homes. I'm on the run. I'm, I'm trying to keep a low profile. He doesn't tell him who he is. No, but, which is very uncharistic for Billy. But. <laughs> that, that is true. That is true. Actually, yeah. But you know what? Maybe we need to make that tweak. Make that tweak. I see. That's why you're here, Brett. He tells him who he is. And this even helps with my later story he tells him it's like hey but you have to keep it a secret and like you mentioned billy the kid as portrayed in this movie he's just a kid so he get along he gets along with the kids and he's basically like hey let me stay in the barn don't don't tell your grandparents adoptive grandparents don't tell them anything sneak me out some food and we've got a deal i'll help you build this baseball field i'll help around on the farm just give me a good place to stay fair enough all right 
So, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so as it turns out, the, the grandma, she's got a specialty. She, she makes this like kind of bratwurst hot dog kind of thing. And I did look it up. The the time the the time period of this movie is around the time a hot dog was invented. It was on the okay. East Coast, granted, but again, historically accurate, Brett. I'm being historically at, at this point. Here. Yes, hot dogs yeah. were made at this time, so I, again, you're historically accurate. So this allows for the the montage scene of like the the baseball field being built. Um, bonding between the kids, hot dogs being eaten, the kids, you know, sneaking out hot dogs from the dinner to give to Billy to bring to the barn. It, it's an opportunity for all those cliche family bonding comedy mm-hmm. scenes, you know. So this this also shows us that time has elapsed. Uh, you're going to have scenes where every now and then Billy's like, "I got to take a bath," and he's he's sneaking into the house, and and Grandma's almost catching him and realizing, well, "What's going on? I hear noises." That kind of comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got the bonding montage. So, so the kids uh, are gaslighting Grandma. Wait, wait, wait! Gaslighting? That's a bit strong. How oh, yeah. are they gaslighting? Well, because they're going to keep telling you that no, no, no. There's not another man in the barn. There's not another man here. So they're 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 gaslighting yeah, okay. Grandma You're in right. that sense. Okay. <laughs> the, actually, yeah, you. That's the yeah, that's the definition of gaslighting. You're right. The um, actual definition, not what people call it, but yes, like the actual definition of gaslighting. <laughs> so we we use the baseball field and the farm to show how time is progressing, and as things are starting to get pretty good. The kids, again, it's all about the newspaper. They see an ad in the newspaper, and apparently, because baseball was reasonably new at this point, and they see about this this barnstorming team of kids that are touring the area, and they'll take on anybody in a baseball game. And they get all excited. They're like, hey, hey, Billy, you know, we, we built this field. Like, we should challenge these kids. And, and Billy's like, well, let me see that newspaper ad. That sounds weird. So Billy grabs it, and as Young Guns established, Billy is—he's uh, he, very literate. He—he he, mm-hmm. maybe he reader. enjoys reading. Yeah, quite the reader. So he reads the fine print, and you know, as as it often happens in life, the adult has to crush the dreams of the kids. And he's like, "Hey, yeah, but we have to have a stadium that that seats at least 150 people because they want to sell tickets to make money." The kids are devastated. They're crushed. They're standing in the middle of the baseball field, just in the verge of tears. And uh, they're all sitting down. Billy the Kid's standing up, and it's that it's that hero 360 shot where he's looking around. He's like, I can't disappoint these kids. What can we do? What can we do? And then he looks at the wheat field, and he thinks about these hot dogs. And he's like, you know what? What if we created a hot dog bun to put this meat into I think that's a product that that people would enjoy. So we have another montage where where Billy he in that moment he he takes out a, a pen and or a, a pencil because of the era historically accurate takes out a pencil and a pad and he writes down a bunch of stuff he gives it to the kids and then we go to another montage of the kids just carrying stuff into the barn and what Billy the kid does is he creates hot dog buns. And, and even though hot dogs existed, we didn't really know what they were. We didn't know how to eat them. They were just eating them with their hands, no bread. He introduces the bun. And uh, they start advertising in the newspaper. They start selling in the local shops. They have some success. And then they start marketing Billy's buns. 
And Billy's Buns, okay. you know, they market, hey, you know, this is my grandma's recipe of, of hot dogs. So you're trading on the name of Billy the Kid. Now, Billy the Kid never makes an appearance. It's all done through the grandmother. And it's, you know, mm. she's got this genius idea, you know. At some point, maybe the kids would have to tell grandma who they've got in the barn. I, I kind of skipped over that. But so they become so profitable through newspaper advertising that Billy Buns take off, Billy Bun hot dogs, all the rage. The profits allow them to build up their 150-seat stadium. They have the barnstorming team come in. That's the climax of the movie, of course, you know, the, the competition between the two teams. The crowd is full of 150 people eating Billy Bun hot dogs. Of course, they have to win because this is a family film. It's a feel-good family film. They win, mm -hmm. and Billy Buns becomes the brand that saves these the grandparents, you know, because of this, they're able to afford a medicine for grandpa and, and he's, he's fixed. You know, they started giving him that medicine prior to the game. So like that's grand, grandpa's big appearance is like, he's showing up to the game to watch the final game. He's finally healthy enough to do it. And that rallies the kids. And, um, what ends up happening is, as I said, it's Beelan is the town and, to this day, the Beelan Buns exist as a minor league baseball team in New Mexico. And uh, the okay, title of the okay. film, title of the film, in case you were wondering, Young Buns. Oh, God. <laughs> we might have to work on that title. Um, <laughs> that's why, no, that's why I wanted to give plenty of context on why it was called Young Buns. Yeah, no, um, yeah, we might have to, we'll, we'll put that through some test audiences. So I'm thinking... Uh, yeah, L love love the idea of the movie. Love the idea of the movie. I'm thinking the way we establish the buns is, you know, maybe this is an old German woman. All right, this is, you know, the hot dogs. It's her special recipe. Oh. Like a, a German sausage has always been around, but like she's always had these, you know, this more of a, a hot dog style sausage. But she makes pretzels a lot, right? So sometime, you know, he's out in this wheat field and all that. Maybe sometime Billy is in there sneaking around. He's trying to make his own bread. Because the kids, like, they can't, they, she only makes enough pretzels for them. So, right. like, he's eating their pretzels. So, like, he goes in to make it. But before, like, he just makes some standard bread, puts it in the shape of, a, like, a pretzel stick. But has to jump out of the window or something like that. Because grandma's coming through. She finds this standard, like, bread bun. Oh. Cooks it up. And then realizes, oh, my God, these are fantastic. These are perfect for the hot dogs, right? And then that's. That's her asking the grandkids, like, who came up with this? Who was this? Who, you know, who did this? And that's when they have to tell her about Billy being out in the barn, is they have to reveal who actually made the hot dog bun. I I, I don't know how well it will translate, but I'm just... That's... God, your ability to listen to my fucking half-assed crazy idea <laughs> and, and insert that... But again connective tissue we always complain when it, i mean you brought it up in this movie it's set piece to set piece you're providing that connective tissue what can i say i'm good at the connective tissue all right i, I bring i bring the hot dog you bring the bun exactly you know we'll relish it <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> oh no no <laughs> I, I i'm sorry i had to uh i really like that i think that is a fantastic um Yes, an adaptation, you know, creating a, a sequel essentially off of this movie. So I, I did. I, don't, I like I don't, it. But my last note, and I don't want to spoil the time capsule, but 
I hope you also appreciated the extra level of Emilio Estevez coaching a bunch Mighty of kids. Ducks. Yes. Yeah, no, yeah. the Mighty Ducks. I Thank almost you. said in the middle of it, but I didn't interrupt you. I'm like, so is this Field of Dreams meets the Mighty Ducks? <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler, Brett, it is. <laughs> All righty. So with that said, we'll jump into my chop shop. Now, what I like to do is I always like, you know, I, you know, admittedly, I have read a book about pitching movies. Um, and, uh, I, well, I started reading a book. I never finished it. It was a good book. I don't know why I put it down. Probably just got bored. But um, they always talked about like one of the best ways to pitch to like uh, an executive is you basically try and combine things that they already understand and know. And then that way you can get kind of their buy-in immediately before you go into the details. Yeah, die hard think- on a train. Like die exactly. hard on a blank was a big thing. E- yeah, Exactly. So it's always like – you know, when they're establishing something like it's two known properties, especially ones that made a shit ton of money or were super popular. And that's how you kind of describe it. And then you can get into the rest of the pitch. But you have to like you have to hook them with that first. So I'm thinking we have an ensemble cast. All right. It's a group of misfits coming together. Right. And having to learn how to work together with maybe their powers. Um, you know, uh, while, you know, going after a threat. Of, of another um, similar group. So I'm thinking maybe this is a little bit of Brian Singer's hit 2000 X-Men. Mashed okay. up with something a little bit more, because I have to do Oscar bait, something a little more Oscar worth, something maybe that even won an Oscar, a revenge oh, flick. Oh, no. A period revenge flick. Maybe a little Braveheart. Oh, Braveheart okay. meets Braveheart meets the x-men is kind of where i i I started with this all right i don't know how well i kept with it but that was where my mind started with this so the movie opens up with billy getting orphaned at age 15 when his mother dies of tuberculosis or the consumption that is historically accurate actually accurate not young guns accurate (laughs) the movie follows uh with an opening montage of him making it through the streets until he arrives at the current time where he's basically killed a blacksmith also accurate um, and is running through the town where Tunstall and Doc see him sneak into their cart. Now, they leave town knowing he's in the back of the cart. Once they reach the ranch, that's when Doc flips over the, uh, the, what is it, the blanket that he's hiding under with the gun and basically like, hey, you're here. I didn't realize how fucking close that was to the opening of X-Men with Wolverine and Rogue until I said yes. it out loud. <laughs> but as you can see, again, um, it works. definitely some influence there. It works. It works. So, um, Tunstall then does a, you know, basically, uh, and then Tunstall says, you know, welcome to the, uh, you know, welcome to the ranch, right? Welcome him. He doesn't have to leave anything. So Tunstall, this is the part where he does a VO introducing the rest of the gang. Very Xavier talking about the rest of the X-Men. Um, the dynamics of the group with, you know, Dick being the obvious Cyclops or the leader. The first 20 minutes of the movie is just establishing Dick as the leader and Tunstall's right hand man, because we never really get that in this movie as far as I'm concerned. Um, at the beginning dinner, uh, Dick and Billy are going to get into a fight with Dick basically putting Billy in his place. Billy's thinking, you know, he's kind of the Wolverine of this group right now. Uh, so Billy's thinking he's like, he's not welcome here. He's going to make it somewhere else. Fuck, he's going to leave. So Tunstall's going to go outside. He's going to find Billy getting ready, angry, getting ready to leave. And he's going to explain Dick's tragic background, maybe about how he's like a failed businessman or like, you know, just trying to humble him up and gives Billy like a sense of respect for debt for Dick and like allows him to kind of allow him to be the leader. Right. The following scene is going to have Murphy visit the ranch, much like he does in this movie and threaten Tunstall to leave. 
Tunsil, Tunsil will reference the ring, which is the group that Murphy's part of, that basically the corruption that's, you know, forcing all of these farmers and stuff like that to, to pay, like, a ton of money, like, basically the racket and all that. Um, and, you know, he's going to mention the unfair prices, um, and then, you know, he'll gladly continue, Tunsil will gladly continue to take his business until there's nothing left to take. The men have a heated argument where Murphy tries to bait Tunstall into drawing his weapon so that he can kill him in an act of self-defense. But of course, Tunstall doesn't take the bait. Um, when Tunstall uh, doesn't work, Murphy leaves, promising to clear his red with Tunstall's blood. Again, you know, gotta gotta get the gotta a good uh, market or what is it? Uh, accounting line? reference in there. Oh, a yeah, well, yeah, an, account, an accounting, accounting reference, line, you know. Yeah. An accounting tagline, exactly, exactly. That's what I was thinking, too. Um, <laughs> so Tunstall sends the boys out to check on the cattle because at this point he's thinking, oh, maybe, you know, Murphy has sent out his boys to, to you know, spread out his cattle or kill his cattle. Um, while they're all out checking, like, they're just kind of, like, casually, they've, they've got the cattle. A gunshot is heard over the plains and through the canyons or whatever, you know, wherever they are. All the boys rush back to find Tunstall dying, choking on his own blood as he tries to tell the boy something, but he's unable to get it out, and he dies from his wounds with Dick holding him, right? Like, because Dick's his right-hand man, and now Dick is, Dick is you know, upset because this is a father figure to him, right? Right. The next scene also mirrors very much with the movie with Alex um, getting the, the regulators deputized. There are five silver stars, but there's only one gold star left right so the group decides that the leader of the regulators should have the gold star the gold deputy star right as a right. symbol of the, of the leadership as the decision is made billy is actually the one who's holding the gold star and he you know the group votes as to who should be the leader it pretty much unanimously it's dick and billy reluctantly gives it to dick like he, he's not happy about it but you know this they voted right right the men ride out to apprehend the first outlaw they're successful at this, okay? It's not like in the movie where, you know, Billy immediately kills somebody, which we didn't get into that, but we will after the, the chop shop. They're successful apprehending the first outlaw. On the second outing, though, the team is ambushed, and Billy winds up killing one of the outlaws to save Charlie um, because we have to have the Charlie, his friendship with Charlie, you know, blossom a little bit. At this moment, Billy realizes the taste of revenge is much sweeter than the taste of justice. And this is this starts Billy's downfall into being a you know you know, a bloodhound right, bloodthirsty. Billy continues to put uh, the group in jeopardy, but no one can argue with his results. Like he's taking out all these people. Dick and Billy eventually get into an argument where Dick explains that this isn't what Tunstall would have wanted, you know, because he feels like he was closer to Tunstall, um, and you know, doing the right thing isn't always right. Isn't always the easiest thing to do. Billy's going to yell back something along the lines of, you know, how would you know? Um, how would you know what he wanted? Because if I recall, he couldn't say anything as he was drowning in his own blood. If you ask me, he would have wanted us to save his business and keep his name alive, right? So they're neither one of them are necessarily wrong, but at the same time, the way in which they are are avenging or you know honoring Tunstall, very very different. Um. So at that point, um, Dick. It basically gets enraged because it seems like half the group wants revenge, half the group wants justice. He throws the gold star at Billy and tells him that he can lead the gang. At this point, we're no longer historically accurate. You know, it's a movie, for God's sake, based on a true story. Um, the next day, the gang gets into a shootout with Buckshot Rogers. He's back. 
The group has an opportunity to flee, but Billy refuses and says that they should uh, should kill Buckshot to send a message to the rest of all these, you know, uh, banditos, right? Dick is killed by Buckshot, but Charlie kills Buckshot. At the end, though, Billy is still rattled, feeling responsible, but unable to admit to the gang that he was wrong and that they should have just fled. Billy relinquishes control to McNabb, who is not featured in the Young Guns movie. This is a character we're going to have to add. Hopefully we can get somebody in. Um, declaring that the only thing he wants is to lead a target in his sights. Billy continues his rampage across Lincoln County. The regulators continue to grow more and more, so we're actually going to have a large gang trying to get a little bit more historically accurate. After a while, Charlie has a conversation with Billy and tells him that he has had enough and he's, he's ready to settle down. He's going to get married. Billy, chasing fame and headlines, can't understand why he would want to fade into obscurity, but respects his wishes. As the men's reconcile, Billy and Charlie are told by McNabb of a plan to kill Alex. McNabb gathers the gang together to create a stronghold in Lincoln. As they're doing it, Billy looks at Charlie and says, One last time for John. And of course, reluctantly, Charlie agrees and the men ride into Lincoln. The final shootout takes uh, uh, takes a couple days. I think it takes three days, historically accurate. McNabb and Alex still wind up being killed. Billy realizes the dead of revenge carries and flees town. The movie ends with Billy and a few members of the gang riding away from a sunset, so the sunset's behind him, guns drawn, with Billy firing a bullet at the camera. Movie ends. Mm. So that's my my Oscar bait. Basically, a little bit more of a connection between, you know, between Billy and Dick and then Billy having to actually grow as a character and realizing, you know, putting everybody in jeopardy and just trying to gun everybody down is not the way to, to you know, settle the debts with what happened to Tunstall. Uh, I, I like it. And I mean, some of the, I'm sure some of that was easy to do because ultimately this movie attempts to be a drama a couple times and they do it in the worst possible way. My favorite change that you made. And, and I don't even know if this is a note on my part, but I at least want to pose this as to where I thought you were going to go with it. Tunstall's death needs to be more dramatic, a hundred percent. But I really like the idea of him trying to get out his last words and those last words are incomplete, which makes me think, I think it's hard to see it through an 88 lens, but like at the time of this release, I think all these guys were projected to be stars or Hollywood was hoping for them to be stars or Mm -hmm. level them up. So from an ensemble piece, I just think it would be interesting to play it through. You have this group of six guys, what they interpret, um, Tunstall's last words, what they were going to be, because you you touch on that between Dick and Billy, but I think it would be mm-hmm. interesting to even open that up because all of these guys seem to have been raised by Tunstall. It would be nice uh, in the Oscar bait vein. You could get a bunch of different actors, and the pitch would be like, "Hey, your character is going to interpret what Tunstall would want this way, and that's going to put you in opposition with the rest of your gang." all for different reasons or you could create tiny factions within the gang. But that that's my favorite part. I think that's where this could absolutely be Oscar bait because you could attract such talent to be in this group with different motivations and sense of what is right and what is wrong. Yes, sir. So 
Thank you. Appreciate that. Good chop shop from both of us there. We'll go ahead and jump into we have three segments left. Do you want to do blue book, tag and title, or time capsule? Uh, let's just do time capsule really quickly. Um, I know this is kind of my baby, so audience-wise, I just, whenever we do a movie... I just want to look at any particular part of the movie. It could be director, it could be actor, it could be producer, and just either fast forward in time, most cases, um, but basically just look at a different period in their career. So as I mentioned, it felt like this movie almost is kind of like a low budget or homeless person's Ocean's Eleven, in terms of, I think, at the time, these were a bunch of big stars. I know, ultimately, from what you told me that I did not know, you know, Sean Penn and Patrick Swayze were the desired targets of the two leads. But um, I think once they went with more Rat Pack casting, they wanted to make this a star vehicle to launch the careers of these people even further. So I wanted to look at the four leads and just where they were 10 years later. And spoiler alert, not not good. Not great. <laughs> uh, so Emilio Estevez, he was 26 years old uh, when this was released, Young Guns. Uh, fast forward to 1998, he had one credit, and it was a TV movie called Dollar for the Dead, and his character was Cowboy. So I'm going to assume that was a cameo, probably paying back to this movie. I just wanted to see if, based upon his performance – why do you think Emilio Estevez's career did not continue this trajectory of being a movie star? Do you have any theories on that or thoughts? Um, if I was going to say what I think happened, um, is it like a, a Rick Moranis situation in which like he just decided he wanted to be with his family and just kind of like pulled himself out of Hollywood? I, well, to be clear, I don't have a factual answer for this. But oh. I, have a, I have a speculation. Um, I, If you look at what he does in the few years after Young Guns, he does Mighty Ducks. And he does three Mighty Ducks movies within like four years. And I wonder, like you, you mentioned this earlier, if he just, like with Jack Palance, if he reached a certain level of financial success because that Disney, you know, money truck backed up to his door and was like, hey, when you do... D2 and D3. And I'm assuming he made a lot of money off that and decided, hey, I would like to explore life outside of just being an actor. Because it, it really doesn't make sense. Right after Mighty Ducks, he just disappears. And I just assume, mm -hmm. hey, spend your money. I don't know. Um, but then Kiefer Sutherland. Um, let's go. He was 22 years old. He was the baby of the main main actors uh in 98 he had four credits including dark city but i think you would agree he's kind of reinvented himself with tv but did not have the superstar career that was anticipated uh at least in this movie do you agree yeah i i have to agree so i was looking into him uh he's got four duis uh, amongst Jeez. other uh, problems, he headbutted a uh, art gallery director apparently at one point. So I feel like he might have been a little difficult to work with, which would explain why he didn't go on to other things. 
uh, at least until he played Jack Bauer. And like I said, now he's got a little bit of a career reinvention. Uh, mm. I probably don't have to ask you why Charlie Sheen, uh, because I, Charlie Sheen, instead of doing the movie credits he did in 2008, I'll just tell you the tidbit that he had a uh, heart attack uh, as a result of a cocaine overdose. Uh, Winning. Which, yeah. yeah, tiger blood. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the fact that he plays a straight man in Young Guns is quite hilarious on a meta level. And then Lou Diamond Phillips, uh, he had six credits in 98, uh, some TV, some movies. I think the big hit um, – was probably his biggest success in that time. I probably don't have to tell you why he was not more successful compared to the rest. Uh, you don't, but go ahead and do it for the audience. Uh, because uh, Native American actors don't have a lot of opportunity. Uh, name all your Ouch. favorite American uh, Native American actors. Uh, Wes Studi and Lou Diamond Phillips is where I would have to stop the list because they just don't get the chances so it's just interesting i think when 88 came out like i had a cousin that was 10 years older than me so she would have been like a teenager at this time she was obsessed with young guns too you know sex symbols the stars of tomorrow it's just interesting that not really so yeah, yeah. that's my time capsule no solid time capsule always good to see kind of like what what happened where they went um, so we'll go ahead and uh, blue book. We'll do that next. So what do you think the budget for this movie was? Uh, 80, late eighties action movie. I, I'm going to lower the budget because I know they didn't get the stars they wanted. I'm going to say 19 million. Okay. A little high, a little high 13 million estimated. Okay. All right. What do you think it grossed? And I'll tell you, U.S. and Canada worldwide was all the same number. So what do you think it grossed? Uh, it, it produced a sequel, so I, I know it was a hit. I'm going to say $90 million. No, uh, $45 million. Wait, what? That was the gross? That was the gross. According to the IMDb's, the gross was $45 million. Six hundred sixty-one thousand five hundred fifty-six dollars, and it was on a budget of what? Thirteen million. Okay, I guess it was a hit, but I expected a bigger profit margin to generate the sequel. But I get different times, whatever. I don't know. Yep. So there's your blue book. You wanna you wanna wrap it up with a with a tag and title? Let's wrap it up with tag and title. Um, okay, I gotta see how I broke up my notes here. All right, good, good, good. All right, here we go. Don't count the odds, count the bodies. Rough, tough, and ready. Six shooters, unholstered. Those are your three taglines. Um... Clarification, did you purposely lead out, leave out the tagline that was on the poster because it would be too easy? Yes. Yes, okay. I did. Because I think that was a good tagline. 
Six Reasons Why the West Was Wild. Yes, I think that's a great tagline for what this movie was trying to do in 88, which is to market the stars. Yes, it it had three taglines. I intentionally did not choose that one. Okay, but I'm just glad we agree that that was a good tagline. Yeah. Um, I'm going to assume that the correct tagline was that stupid, what was it, Six Shooter? What did you say? Six Shooters Unholstered. Yeah, I think that's the tagline. The, at least an official tagline. Final answer? Final answer. That was my tagline. Okay. You know what? <laughs> I was going to say that that tagline is delightfully moronic. So, <laughs> Dude, you have no idea how long it took me to try and make something where I could say six shooters that made any fucking sense whatsoever because I was adamant I was going to use six. I'm like, oh my God, there's six of them? A six shooter revolver? I have to make this work. <laughs> yeah, I, that's why I both love it and hate it because it, it has synergy. It's not necessarily the best synergy. No, no, it was forced. It was forced hard. <laughs> Um, so sorry, right. hit me with the other two because I was so caught up on that one. Don't count the odds, count the bodies. Rough, tough, and ready. I don't count the odds, count the bodies, I think is now my new prediction on what an official tagline was. Final answer? Fi- final answer. All right, yes, that is one of the alternate taglines for Young Guns. Rough, Tough, and Ready is from 1966's The Professionals, which I know you hate bad our old movies. I think you would enjoy The Professionals. It's, a, can, it's an old Western. I can promise you it's I not, wouldn't. I've seen The Wild Bunch. I've seen Magnific- Magnificent Seven. Hated them both. I, 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 we might, I might have to put that on the docket to get you to watch The Professionals. Well, that's the fucking only way I'm going to watch it. <laughs> not to be confused with the own the professional there we go there's another trilogy the Wait, professionals what's the third movie? i'll have to find something else that has professional in it there oh, has to be something i mean we could do man on fire i'm just a professional i'm just a professional probably too similar uh, to leon hopefully you're gonna cut this segment out oh no this is definitely gonna stay in there <laughs> um there, <laughs> no that can't be one uh professionals with tom welling and brendan Fraser. that's a 2020 so that's a modern one what the fuck's that gonna be about Oof, that we might have to do a professional trilogy yeah i oh this me, looks let like me dog shit yeah i'm not doing <laughs> that looks, let me brainstorm a third movie terrible <laughs> I mean, you oh, already sideswiped Brendan Fraser and called him a fat motherfucker on a review, so <laughs> I don't feel like we should do any current Brendan Fraser. <laughs> All righty. Final thoughts. Uh, I think that the I, I would pass on this movie. I think there's better. I, there There's definitely some parts that I enjoyed about it, but overall, this is... I would never go back and watch this movie. I don't know if it has any nostalgia value for you, because that, you know, even with me, there's movies that I know aren't very good that, like, I go back and I, I get the nostalgia points on. I, um, I did not think this was a very good movie. Yeah, you know, it, it is... One part nostalgia, uh, because as I mentioned, I had an older cousin who was just wild about the sequel. She had the posters with 
you know, all the heart throbs on them. So there was a nostalgia play for me. Um, and again, just kind of showing how movies are so subjective. If you have a personal connection with a movie on any level, it, it elevates it. Um, and I told you the extra level of interest for me was I was watching, uh, I assume, Brett, that you are a descendant of Billy the Kid as portrayed in this movie. <laughs> so the whole movie, I'm watching it and also just appreciating how much this reminds me of my friend. And the reason I'm going to say this movie still is not a recommend for me and I would not pay a decent amount of money for it is because if I take those glasses off – because if I'm Chavez or any of the regulators, I would follow Billy the Kid – portrayed by Brett Mosher because I have a history with <laughs> Brett Mosher. When I remove that and I just try to think, what if this was a guy that you have met two weeks ago? I would be like, he's a fucking psycho. He's going to get me killed. I need to get as far away from him as possible. And that might be true about you, Brett. You might get mm -hmm. me killed eventually, but you've, you've earned it. I, I trust you. you. You've earned the I, trust. I appreciate that. Yeah, you've yep. earned the trust for one day for me to end up in the Everglades in a bad situation <laughs> because you had a brilliant idea. <laughs> Billy the Kid in this movie did not earn that with any of the characters. So unless you've got a crazy friend that Billy the Kid reminds you of, pass on this. <laughs> Very well said. Very well said. Yeah, I, I was trying to figure out why I love this movie so much, and I realized it was purely for a personal connection. Well, I thank you for that, Travis, but I'm going to ask you to get your slug self out of here. Don't leave any of your slime behind. I, I, I'm I, sorry, Brett. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said you were a psycho. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry that I didn't realize you were a fucking traitorous bitch before. <laughs> Uh, we'll see y'all for the wrap-up show. Bye. In a very loose retelling of the Lincoln County War, six renegades are recruited by a noble rancher to defend a property from wild rest... Oh, whoops. Yep. I really should stop trying to make these so intricate. But it's fun to write them. It's terrible to read them. Hey, it's part of the charm. Don't mm -hmm. worry about it.